I just know that I'm gonna belch like at some point during this intro, and I'm gonna have to start over. Well, okay, get it out. Get it I out. wouldn't have it any other way. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to No Clip. I'm Chad Rowan. I'm JJ Artemis, and I'm Andy Kank. And today we're gonna be talking about The Last of Us, which was developed by Naughty Dog and released on the PlayStation 3 in 2013, and then released a year later in June of 2014 on the PlayStation 4 as, like, a, a remastered edition. So, <clears throat> The Last of Us is a, basically a triple-A stealth action game, uh, where you play as the world's most physically fit geriatric. <laughs> Very... <laughs> Wait, wait, before you go on with this, we need, we need to establish this. How old do you guys think that he is? I'm assuming he's in his 50s. Um... I think in the intro they imply that he's, like, a young father. So I'm going to guess he was, like, late 20s then, and then it flashes forward 20 years, so I'm going to say late 40s. Okay. Good. We're on roughly the same page here. I was mostly just wondering what you considered geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> it appears to be, like, 50. Just well, harsh. Well, it was just, I have, like, a whole uh, list of ways to describe Joel, mm-hmm. uh, including a man who has a garage decorated with license plates. <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, li- the living embodiment of a don't mess with Texas belt buckle. <laughs> he is kind of like a, a badass Hank Hill. Yeah. And a man whose idea of elegant decor is the dining room of a Buffalo Wild Wings. <laughs> <laughs> These are all true. <laughs> now, more, more like a Cracker Barrel. I guess. Like a more rustic. He's not thing. racist enough for Cracker Barrel. Okay, fine. Something else rustic, then. <laughs> Some other kind of lodge restaurant. <laughs> I just I don't want to imply the wrong thing about Joe because we're saying well he could be racist. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, true. We're, we're suggesting all of these things about him that are normally associated with pretending to be those things and not actually being them, like trying to espouse the aura of being like a don't mess with Texas belt buckle. <laughs> but he is like the actual like personification of what that buckle yes. pretends that its owner is. Oh okay, yeah, he gets the added benefit of being a video game character meaning that he lives out his existence as an expression of like tropes and characteristics like attributed to him by in this case Neil Druckmann <laughs> so it was just like we're gonna have a guy who's like from Texas and is like the world's hugest asshole and go and just beat the sh- <laughs> he beats the shit out of people mm-hmm. and, and yeah yeah well he seems that. like he starts out as a nice guy he so starts when he becomes well, a human before asshole. he is taken a life he seems like he's an R.A. dude mm-hmm. like a little stressed blue collar kind of dude and then he becomes like a torturous superhero <laughs> I actually took because this is the second time I've been through The Last of Us Same. tons of notes on this progression I took uh, tons of notes on this game in general I was actually kind of surprised how much I came away from it with. I yeah. never take notes. Uh, live life on the edge. <laughs> <laughs> much like Joel. Play by, yes, I'm yeah. just like Joel. I'm all his murder friends. But yeah. Only not as handsome or buff. <laughs> I was really interested in how many, like, when and they start his progression into being, like, horrible murder man. And most of it is, of course, implied over the period of time that you don't see directly but gets referenced constantly through the rest of the game after the intro. Yeah. But he has, like... He's not the best person, even in the intro. He's, like, the nice stay-at-home dad. Right. But even when they're, like, driving around... He's a cool truck, dad. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's yeah. the cool dad. That's, that is the important characteristic because he is, in the intro of this game, 
Joel is a cool dad, but he notably lacks several other positive dad features. Yeah. Like, he's obviously not around a lot because mm-hmm. of his job, and, you know, like... When shit hits the fan, and they're, like, driving out of the city, and, you know, his daughter sees people that they would like to help, he's like, what the fuck are you doing? Keep driving. Yeah, do not help those people, <laughs> he's, just drive. He's genre savvy. He knows not to stop and help those people. <laughs> <laughs> or they give it, maybe they were, like, killed. really giving Joel the, 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 the short end of the stick, and he's just a genre savvy cool dad. <laughs> yeah. As you were saying. No, just as an example of his weird turn into darkness, even though we might want to ascribe the keep driving uh, impetus on his part as just being like genre savvy. Yeah, so just self, self-preservation. I think you could take that as like an adequate hint that like even in, in his very beginnings, he's sort of a selfish dude. He's not... Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree with that. Yeah, and I mean like, I'm okay with my video game protagonists not being like altruistic. Yeah. But Joel crosses the line into, like, monster just incredibly rapidly. <laughs> but you gotta, like JJ said, they they have that 20-year gap. Yeah, there's a 20-year gap. Which you gap. have to factor in. You factor in the 20-year gap, then you also like, factor in that that's nine seconds to the right, player. Yeah. <laughs> right, but, like, it's something that they want you to fill in for yourself. Right. It makes such a great use of it, because so much of the opening, if you're not looking for these pieces of him being a monster already like we are, is attempting to, like, make you so empathetic for this man. Right. That even though, like, all the signs right at the beginning after the 20-year gap are there, that he's just, like, a fucking murdery torture man... Uh, you're generally so blinded by, like, knowing about the loss that he's experienced with his family that you overlook so much of that on your first playthrough. Yeah, I, that is absolutely true. Because, I like, I discussed the ending of this game with uh, Andy uh, last week. And, because I, I was basing this on a now two-year-old first playthrough of this game where... I was like, man, like, by the end, like, I I wanted to know, going in the second time, what Joel's character arc really was, and how he gets to the place that he is at the end of the game, and it is less of a, an arc than I thought. (laughs) You start midway through the arc, and it's just a downhill sort of motion. Yeah, who he is doesn't change much, but his relationship with Ellie changes a lot. Correct. So I'm going to guess, based on that conversation, that we would like to start with what is probably the most lauded part of this game, uh, which is notably not the game, the playing of the game <laughs> with a controller, but in fact the actually really well-written story that this game tells. So, this game has good acting. That is true. The actually good acting. That's, oh, I'm so glad that we're that we've gotten to this point. Even especially in, in the AAA space, this game set a standard that I'm so happy that other people are going to be trying to live See, up to. That's uh something I've heard said about this game like several times as well. And like maybe I just don't play a lot of shitty AAA games, but like. <laughs> Hasn't the acting quality in games been, like, pretty good for, like, several years now? The, the facial recognition. Well, yeah, the anim- <laughs> that's the animations, though. Yeah, that's what I mean. Is Like, the ability for people to impart emotions onto 
on, like onto these video game avatars has improved okay. dramatically. The the actors' performances can actually be put into the game. Right, and the writing also is a thing that's generally right. We're talking about like in that case, like the motion capture and stuff, and the animation is is sort of how the the digital actors play out scenes in this game. Uh, but voice acting is also, I mean, while not like spectacular, like anything that you would you know give a golden globe to or whatever uh, <laughs> is you know it is good and by video game standards it is in the top one percent probably uh it, because it's just not a thing that games are really known for even at this point uh three years after this game originally came out but it it, it has a lot to do with the fact that they did well it, it's it has a lot to do with the fact that naughty dog made uncharted and made a, a bazillion dollars, <laughs> and were able to properly finance the like aspects of this game that actually convey the story, and clearly is where they put their focus uh, when designing this game. Oh yeah, this game feels like a bazillion dollar game <laughs> in a way that isn't flashy, which I think might be maybe a first for me in terms of these experiences. Like it feels like. They didn't... Because most of the time when people say, this game feels like, like a multi-million dollar game, what they're referring to are explosions. Or, right, yeah. you know, really, God really is. pretty things. <laughs> yeah. Something that just looks expensive. Like yeah. Final Fantasy Everything. usually does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Every single <laughs> yeah. Final well, Fantasy. Yeah, they're usually always super good looking for their time. Yeah. I mean, this game doesn't not have that. There are moments, it's downplayed. Yeah. There are moments of this game where you're particularly... In, Possibly only the outdoor parts of the game, mm -hmm. during which you were walking through like woods, and the way that it actually sort of <laughs> follows the seasons and how you can see the development of the outside. And clearly, this game was not made by making a model of a tree and putting that model in a hundred places around an arena. Oh yeah, somebody intricately designed these areas. Like the scene in the in winter when you're hunting the buck. And there's snow on the ground, and it does the thing that I really like when video games do, which is where you can, without the game's prompting, sort of, like, make a connection to something in the real world and figure something out yourself as a player. In this case, tracking the deer by its hoof prints and then later by blood. Mm -hmm. uh, and that is all beautifully rendered on the snow. <laughs> Even if the tracks are just, like, a texture that they painted over, because the deer presumably runs in a set track, mm -hmm. it still looks really natural within the game world. Mm -hmm. All the outdoor areas are like that. It only really takes a step down during the indoor areas. And that is actually kind of an issue I have with this game's tone, but I'll get to that in a, a, a little bit yeah, later. I think they they were going for like a sharp contrast between the two, which I think really works in the game's favor, because there's lots of times where like you emerge from an indoor area and you're like, holy shit, <laughs> this game is like beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's, it, it's a little heavy-handed, I'll say. I appreciate it, and I love these moments, but... It is like it's very it's a very clear contrast between uh, you're in like a closed off area where things are supposed to feel claustrophobic and then when you're in the open areas they aren't tense anymore. And then also the characters frequently comment like, Wow, it really looks beautiful as <laughs> if they're like looking directly out of the screen. They're like, We spent a lot of money on this. Do you like it? 
<laughs> we I, think it looks good. I give it a little more credit than that. It's got a well, lot of... I give them all the credit in the world for making such beautiful scenery. Right. There's maybe one or two scenes like that, but for the most part, I think it has more subtlety than that. Yeah, as an example of them, like, completely owning it, <laughs> like, the giraffe scene, for example, the is them scene. make... What? <laughs> <laughs> See, I have conflicting feelings about it because, like, I think in the moment it's really effective, and then like you start to think about it, and you're like, "Wait a minute, yeah, that was pretty heavy-handed." <laughs> <laughs> also, it's twenty years, just like on a logistic standpoint, twenty years after the fall, of these giraffes are still here. Not yeah. the same giraffes. Yeah, probably. they like escaped from the zoo. The, the giraffes made around. like a habitable environment <laughs> out of. Like we're in Salt yeah, Lake City. They would have. They would have. Need. They would have left to somewhere that had like lots of trees they could eat off of. Yeah, they're not. <laughs> not they're they would have stayed in the middle of the city. Na- Naughty Dog is banking on you not knowing what giraffes need. <laughs> but like, actually, um, to bring up that moment, like one of my favorite moments in the game was the beginning of the spring chapter. Like you start out. And, like, you're in that big open area, and it's really, really beautiful looking. And you don't come across anything for, like, the first 15 minutes. And it really hammered home, like, the title of the game. Like, it really felt like we were the last two people, or the last two things, (laughs) like, on the planet. And I just thought that was a really effective moment. Mm. I don't know. The, The winter and the spring chapters are, I think... By a pretty wide margin, my two favorites in the game, uh, both marred by one, like, segment that I don't think ruins them. Uh, but those two chapters are really good, and, and Spring's, like, emphasis on that downplayed uh, opening, and, like, really the whole way there isn't, there's, like, one fairly easy to get through stealth section in, in Spring. Uh, that is kind of tense, but it is really uh, chill until the very end. And that's the emphasis in that chapter, and I think that it plays really well, and that first scene does a really great job of setting it up yeah. and reflecting on what had just happened during the winter chapter. So. Right. And yeah, and that, that whole, like, the cityscape, as you walk in, it's like, you can see, like, the plants overgrowing the city, and they, it's all just very good. It, it is... Beautiful, as we've been talking about. <laughs> Just to tie it in. <laughs> Do you think that the giraffe scene was, like, directly inspired by the scene from Jurassic Park, where they, the brontosaurus comes up? Because <laughs> uh, it feels exactly the same. I, I get the feeling that there are, like, some inspirations to this game that are more heavily hinted at than others. Um, Resident Evil is, is a pretty big one. Um, and there are a few other... Uh, game franchises and movies and things like that 28 days later, of course. Uh, I didn't really get a Jurassic Park vibe. <laughs> like, but I'm talking that specific scene. I totally see it. it's almost like a shot-for-shot shot remake of that scene. <laughs> it has a completely different undertone, which yeah, yeah. Yeah. paints over completely different. There are, like, Like, visually, weird... it's set up, like, exactly the same. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like, it's, it is also just, like, the reverse, right? Like, because the, the Brontosaurus scene is, like, this thing where it's before everything goes to shit. And then the giraffe scene is after everything has gone to shit. So yeah. it's like, maybe they're trying to bookend a, 
I don't think they tried to do that. <laughs> no. Confirmed. Same universe as Jurassic Park. Yeah. There wasn't a moment during the Jurassic Park draft scene where people had to, like, come to terms with their probably immediate mortality and, like, rebuild themselves from, like, a disastrous personal experience. Right. Yeah. Unless, like, there was some... There was, like, more turbulence in that Jeep that I'm remembering prior to that scene. Right. Because the thing that I was thinking here mm-hmm. is that... We began talking about the story, and then we talked about how good this game looks uh, for a while. But the plot's so damn important to this game. It's right? incredibly important. Like yeah. the mechanics are—they're laid—they're laid on a bit thick. There's probably a little bit more than them than they need. But this isn't a mechanical experience that you can't get almost everywhere. You know, for the last five years or so. Well, notably, it has. We're not talking about the mechanics yet. Sure. It is, at least at the beginning of the era of, like, this kind of a game. Yeah. This was before the Tomb Raider remake. This was uh, before things like The Order and where it got, like, really bad. Mm-hmm. So, I, I'll give it a little bit of credit for this style of gameplay, because it, it does feel... I'll give them credit for using this style of game to drive what is supposed to be more of a narrative-based experience because it allows the game to sort of show you itself in a more natural way. Like, the third-person camera, the fact that you're always... You're sneaking and you're exploring, so you have to be aware of your surroundings so they can put more hints and things like that in it. Yeah, and for me personally, and granted, I don't play a lot of games like this, but I had played Uncharted before this, and I really liked how this game gave me the always I always had the option of getting in a firefight, trying to be stealthy, or like hitting dudes with a pipe. I, <laughs> like I've never played I a really, game I really want to come back to this, uh, because that is probably ninety percent of the content that I have for this podcast. Ah. <laughs> and if we go off on this tangent now it won't end. Okay. <laughs> One thing I was getting at uh when we were talking about like the start of the spring chapter is I feel like there's kind of a... Uh, they have a little bit of a difficult time trying to give this game like it's a, a consistent tone. Uh, the game sort of markets... It's, or I guess marketed itself originally as a horror game in as much as, you know, it has what are effectively zombies in it. Yeah. And this is kind of the thing that I take issue with. Because the game can't do horror. Like, it is incapable of it. And there are times that are more tense than others, but at no point do you really feel like you're playing a survival horror game. I agree. The the limitation on ammo is a thing that is borrowed from survival horror, and zombies are uh, from survival <laughs> horror. But I, I feel like a lot of the time the game just doesn't succeed. And what, the thing that it does, that I think it wants to do, that it attempts to use the the infected to forward, but I, I don't think successfully, is a like tragic human story. But you can't, because the game treats the infected so much like zombies, it's impossible to feel like, like, their story matters. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're just it's faceless, spawning zombie monsters. Yeah, and there's never, like, a scene, really, 
where the characters like show hesitation to kill them or like any kind of remorse for it. Right. And the characters are all extremely competent at killing these things. Yeah. Like, Ellie will just leap onto one of them and stab them in the jugular, like, five times. <laughs> like, right. n- like it's no big deal. Yeah. That's another thing, though, with uh, Ellie's character progression. Ellie, like, Joel is a monster, and by the transitive property, Ellie is kind of also a monster. Obviously without as much, like, malice toward human life as Joel seems to have by the end of the game. Yeah, I'm gonna need you to explain the transitive property of monster in this circumstance. (laughs) Ellie's got that, like, I don't know what you call it, but, like, she thinks that she's gonna die at the end of this. It's like she's kind of, like, doesn't give a shit anymore. Like, she even has a couple of lines where she's like, I'm not afraid of dying, etc., etc. So I've been waiting for my turn. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. and like, so she, it's like she, she's, I don't know how to word this. She's lost. She she, she doesn't have anything that she can feel connected to anymore. She has, even though she's been, she got into a circumstance where she assumed she was going to die with an individual that she cared for greatly. And instead, she lost that sort of, like, tragic, romantic circumstance that she actually desired and ended up gaining instead this, like, ludicrous importance to humanity that she really didn't want at all. Right. She never treats herself like she is important. If anything, she's actually mad Yeah. That about this Yeah, situation. she's gotten herself into to a place where, like, it doesn't really... She's able to act monstrous or heartless... Yeah, when I discussed... Well, first of all, I don't really necessarily think that Ellie lacks a sense of self-preservation. Like, I don't think that she... Well, she's not reckless, no. Right. She's just listless. Just, yeah. Yeah. She's doing what other people command her to do and is mad that she's in that circumstance, too. Right. I, th- I think that is more fair. Compared to Joel, she's certainly more emotionally responsive. They have the entire arc with her sort of, like, coming to terms with the kind of like, damage that she's going to have to do to people to survive. She always gave lip service to that idea, partially because of the, like, military training that she went to went through when she was young. But she always, like, talked the big talk when you first encounter her, mm-hmm. and it's not until after she, like, kills her first person and you see, like, how she actually responds to that situation. There's a big shift between, like, after you... After, um... I can't remember the characters' names, but the the father and son that you pick up in Pittsburgh, mm-hmm. like, after they die, is there's, like, a big shift in Ellie's character. Because mm. she cares a lot about their well-being, and then after they die, she kind of, like, learns a lesson from that. Yeah, she sort of just got Joel at that point. Yeah. The, well, the thing that I was discussing about <laughs> what I described as the transitive property of, <laughs> of Monster mm-hmm. uh, is that by being around Joel and going on this, like, year-long adventure... She is sort of taught through him uh, a sort of shoot first and ask questions later mentality. Uh, And by the end of it, the game, and this is a thing that people criticized Uncharted for, and a thing that people frequently criticize games in general for, and it's just because design hasn't quite figured out a way to make not doing this viable, Mm -hmm. where enemies will yell out and be like, it's that girl from before. Like, how many of our men died? And they're like, because they died. It's like, he's a crazy person, and he killed pretty much everyone that anyone has ever met. 
<laughs> like, with, The Last of Us is more of an end goal for Joel. <laughs> like, he wants everyone else to be dead. And, and Ellie just totally goes along with that. By the end of the game, by winter, she is, like, fucking, you know, slitting people's throats and shooting people with a shotgun... At 14, <laughs> I, at 22, shot, fired a shotgun once and bruised myself. <laughs> uh, did both of you guys play the DLC or not? I did not. I did two years ago. Okay, I did okay. not even think about it. See, because that sort of depicts her... I mean, she goes through the, like, I have killed a man state and then gets trained in the use of the rifle... But that's the first time where she has set herself up into a position where she's like been trained, but is completely alone and has to become the murder person. Right. Yeah. So it's like during that winter transition is definitely when she starts to progress into this, into the crazy killing machine that like all of this other sort of unnamed town. I don't know really what to call it. Community. Of yeah. Cannibals. It's, it's a. It's yeah. It's a town, and that's fair. She kills basically the whole population. <laughs> Uh, and burns uh, it down. Don't forget, she burns down the town. Yeah. Also. Well, she, she brings down a building. I don't think she burns down the whole town. Yeah, it's something that just becomes really routine to her, and it's like, I think they brush it off with, like, there's a cause, like, there's a reason they're doing it. Right. The thing it's is... a justification. There. I, I believe, truly believe, that you kill more human enemies in this game than you do infected. Mm-hmm. And Probably. while the game calls it out... I don't think that calling it out makes it make any more sense. Yeah, your enemy is less of the zombies and more just the other people that get in your way. Right, because they have, like, ranged options. Like, from a purely combat standpoint, human enemies are more dangerous than infected. What do you mean by make sense? It doesn't correct the problem in games where a single man kills hundreds of people. Mm Mm-hmm in the way that I think the game wants it to. I think the game wants to be like, look at how unreasonable they're being, but the it's not Joel's mindset that is unreasonable, it is the fact that he has been able to do this that is unreasonable. <laughs> the thing that they were going for, and I believe they've explicitly stated this in interviews, is they kept pl- making these Uncharted games where this like happy-go-lucky TV character would like <laughs> mow through so many people, and they wanted to ask what doing that would turn you into as a person. Like I think they are taking for granted that Joel is the kind of person who just lawnmowers his way through human <laughs> lives, but... They're, they're taking that for granted and asking what kind of person would actually do this in the real world and trying to hold that as constant as they can with that ridiculous starting premise so you end up becoming like a man with truck nuts as a lifestyle. <laughs> yeah, and that's the list. Uh, <laughs> okay, I mean, I've never heard that. If that is an explicit goal, it kind of makes the game feel a little bit less... Uh, about its narrative and more about just that concept oh, it's expanded not the exclusive upon. goal, obviously. Right, right, right. But I mean, it does sort of like... If you enter the game with the assumption that your character is going to be able to mow people down, which you really don't if you just pick this game up without context. Agreed. Without context, like you said, it's, it seems like they might be trying to aim for a survival horror aspect when they're really just aiming for survival. Right. Uh... But yeah, so Joel's character arc then, 
goes from cool dad to like I if you if you don't tell me where your boss is, I'll pop your kneecap off with a knife. Yes, yeah. And <laughs> and then I guess to dooming the world at the very end. Yeah, sociopath. Mm-hmm. He's straight absolute sociopath. Yeah. And I love that they're able to through his progression show you that sociopaths can care about things and that you can care about sociopaths. I'm not entirely sure I agree with either of those statements. <laughs> well, I, I think that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I hadn't thought of that myself, but I think there's a lot of merit to that statement. Yeah, keep in mind, I'm not assuming perfect information. What I meant by at least the second portion was that they set up a situation in which you interacted with a sociopath and you viewed him in a positive light. That's the part that I don't see. Because uh, the first one was just a joke, mostly about sociopaths caring about things, because that's not really in their, like, the definition of their disorder. Uh, in in terms of you caring about Joel as a player playing as the character, I feel like my the limits of my caring about Joel stopped at the mechanical side of the game. So like, that so it I stopped immediately want... after the tutorial? Is that when it stopped? <laughs> well, I guess you get to a point where you realize that Joel isn't, like, a remorseless murderer who doesn't, like, other people's goals do not matter to him. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's basically, I want Joel to stay alive so that I can continue playing this game. <laughs> Joel is a is a really cl- is clearly not even an anti-hero but an antagonist to humanity. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's a completely reasonable way to feel while playing the game, but I feel like most people will not feel that way and will care about Joel. There's too many biases set up both from the start of the game and from your perspective as the guy inhabiting this character. Sure. Yeah, like and they, they we... go to that end, they go to extreme lengths to make the bad guys seem like very bad guys. It's, yeah, like, most people, are, even if they play a lot of games, are used to caring about their main character and aren't going to think of it that way until, like, probably towards the end of the game. Speaking about making them really set up everyone they're against as, like, the worst possible people... I have two examples of this, so we <laughs> might overlap here. Good. Uh, I This is, like, proof of concept of... I don't know if... There's probably, like, a uh, like TV tropes page with a good name <laughs> of whatever I'm about to describe is, but the idea that even the slightest, like, sprinkling of a hint that someone is a pedophile... As enough yeah. to make you instantly hate them forever for any reason. Yeah. That was one I actually... Because I came away from the game two years ago, and this was one of my two examples, uh, being like... I, like, I guess when I went back into the game and I was thinking about the winter chapter before I started it, mm-hmm. I was like, this is the chapter where there's a boss fight in a burning building with a, with a pedophilic psychopath. It's never really explicitly stated in the game that David is a... Davis? David? Whatever, whatever. I was calling him the sad man (laughs) for the majority of the game. But uh, he... uh, It's never explicitly stated that he tried to do anything to Ellie other than kill her. (laughs) Yeah, 
Is he a pedophile? I I would say there's not really any other way you can interpret because the touch scene. The way that like when I was playing, when I finished the game, I was like, okay, this game like hit all of the plot points I expected it to, like right. for a zombie story, uh, in like the general sense of like where the plot went. Mm-hmm. And, but I was like, they never had that scene, like a part where they came across like a group of men who probably hadn't seen a women in years, a and women. it got and it got rapey. <laughs> Right, Ellie. I was like, it never went there. Oh no, it, it does. And apparently, it does. It does. Yep, it does. That the... hand touch scene is all the game needed. Because <laughs> I mean, I just took it as like he's a super insane, creepy cannibal. He's like, sure. like he wasn't touching her like she. He wanted to fuck her. He was touching her like you're gonna be delicious when I eat you. And I read it as he, he t- you know, like he's like eyeing her <laughs> yeah, like he would like you, you would, kind like, of like caress a pig's carcass before you <laughs> turn it into pork. Uh, he's like. I think he's trying to imply to her that he's looking at her like she's food. Well, the, the, there's certainly, there's the implication, partially by making him a cannibal, that there's sort of like the, I don't know, like double entendre or something, that like, he's looking at her like a piece of meat. Right. Ha ha ha. Both, I, in both I cases. mean, I, see, I they're think, probably going for that. <laughs> I think that both of your readings are valid, and I also myself interpreted it as him trying to get her to trust him. Oh, yeah. Which is a third sort of, like, alternate version of the same reading. And because of this ambiguity, I went to the internet. And <laughs> there was a an interview with Nolan North, who is the voice actor of everyone, but also <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of uh, David. And he ba- he said... In a kind of a roundabout way, but without a whole lot of ambiguity to it, mm. that yes, he is a pedophile, and the scene at the end of the quote-unquote boss fight was a rape attempt. Okay. So, ah. he is yeah a disgusting human being, through and through, no matter how you read the, the, the scene, but that is, I guess, explicitly what they were going for. Okay, good. But, yeah, the, the thing that really hammered heard my interpretation of that, and the thing that made it different was that that it wasn't just trying to be like a weirdly weird cannibal guy was the way that he always set it up as an either or where like you're going to be punished with cannibalism or you're going to love me okay yeah. also like sense. people refer to her as as his new pet yeah and there's lots of like kind of weird suggesting there was an old pet <laughs> that <laughs> also but <laughs> uh yeah the other one that that stuck out to me which was before this and is less I guess less apparent immediately than his like craziness, mm-hmm. but uh, there, when you are you get the truck originally uh, and you drive for a while and then you crash the truck, mm-hmm. you then escape those people and then you're in a storefront and when you're in the storefront, two people like two innocent people who you can tell because they aren't wearing like full military garb mm-hmm. run by and they get shot down and then a guy checks one of their pockets, and then they bail. Like, if you're the kind of person who is killing people to scavenge and survive, you check the other dude's pockets. (laughs) You don't just leave his corpse there and drive away. Which makes them just seem like they are... it, It implies in that scene that, one, they're murdering for fun, and that they are... Also, they're just wasteful, generally. Yeah. Not of everything. And through that level, you can see that they clearly have enough shoes. There's, like, plenty of shoes. They do comment. They're like, we got shoes. 
Don't worry. So they didn't need to like strip him or anything on the street to yeah. the end of the degradation. But but yeah, the the huge murder truck, also a pretty obvious example of trying to set up people that you don't like. True. That being said, in like this kind of a situation, if I had access to a murder truck, I would be the driver of that murder truck. Like yeah. there's no I'm not going I'm not hoofing it. Yeah. In this situation. <laughs> Would you strap bodies to the front of the murder truck? Because that's think that a goes little over far. The line. Yeah, yeah. The, the, you you've now gone from uh, the Dawn of the Dead remake to the preacher character from Twisted Metal Black. Like <laughs> it's like a Mad Max thing. Yeah, also, yeah. yeah, also a Mad Max thing. Which Twisted Metal is kind of a Mad Max thing mm-hmm. in itself. So. What you want is a truck that can murder. What they have is a truck for murdering. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It is murder. Uh, my track is murder capable. <laughs> there is an ex- is an expressly purposed murder truck. Uh, oh. Speaking speaking of murder, uh, and how Joel was not murdered by having a giant pole just uh, shoved straight through him yeah. that far. How did that scene land for you guys? Ha ha land. Pretty effective, uh, I think. Like thinking like on it, and like Chad, I was watching Chad play through that part last night, and he made the comment that like uh, Joel just got Laura Crofton, you know, because like he just got like, impaled, and I was like, well, there is like a big difference on how I feel seeing Laura Croft get impaled to the point where it's like. It feels super gratuitous and silly mm-hmm. in those games. Right. But, like, in The Last of Us, it really works, mm-hmm. even though it is super violent yeah. and unnecessary. Like, it feels grounded and realistic. It's notable in, in the comparison that in the Tomb Raider remake, having Lara Croft impaled on a spike is a punishment to for the dying. player for, for fucking up and dying. And in The Last of Us, it's like, a, it's... Well, it's it's like a surprise moment, but also it is like it's effective because not because of your empathy for Joel, as I will continue to push <laughs> my agenda here, uh, but because of your empathy for Ellie, because Ellie is now without a protector. Agreed. Um, I think the first time that I played the game, the scene worked really well, especially because they they cut from the scene where you black out to a scene where you're playing as Ellie. So there's a a very real chance that they're chrono triggering you. Oh yeah, and all oh, that setup. Yeah, that made me, my, that whole from the start of the scene to like the full start of the winter scene until they until Ellie gets back to where Joel is and it's now explicit that he's alive instead of just being implied by her asking for the medicine. Right. That went so well. Even had the beginning to add more fuel to your I don't care about Joel perspective because after Joel is lifted off of the horrible metal piece. Uh, he keeps moving through uh, and like trying to resist her help because yeah. he's shitty, and then messes up and like falls a bunch <laughs> of times until Ellie's <laughs> like, "Just then fucking walk then if you need to walk," and she gets frustrated about it. It's a very good characterization for Joel, even at a moment. So it, it distinguishes it from the relatively common moments in games where your protagonist is just sort of like lumbering around with a huge injury. There's been enough of those now where I think we can trope them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and then, like, he's on the horse, and the first little bits of snow are falling in the background, and he falls off. Winter, cold open, ha ha ha, to immediately with Ellie, and it's just completely ambiguous, and it could be either. I like that you bookended this conversation with puns. (laughs) Like, how did that scene land with you? Cold open, 
Yeah. I have to say, I never thought for a second that Joel was actually dead. Really? Yeah. Man. I thought, there, yeah, there's no way they're killing him off already. You like, have confidence in the murder yeah. man. I what? thought there was no way they'd kill him before the end, if right. they were going to kill him. I got the impression, well, you also, and I don't even know if you were even aware of this, but you played this game for the first time after the announcement of The Last of Us 2. Well, <laughs> just because it was The Last of Us 2 doesn't mean he has to be in it. That's true, but... Uh, they actually even set that up as an intentional ambiguity. You know Ellie lives, unfortunately, which sort of partially ruins the first game, but you don't know if Joel lives if you watch the uh, the trailer for The he, Last of Us 2. He's the one who oh, walks yeah. into the room at the end. Is he? I thought he, that was just a guy. No, that's his voice. Oh, shit. Absolutely. Never mind. Race. I mean, it's at the very end. They just did like a. They were doing a. You don't. Yeah, switch. you don't see him. You yeah. just hear his voice. They wanted. They wanted the anticipation to last for a minute and thirty seconds, not like six months <laughs> until the game comes out. Mm-hmm. I was. Uh, I'm going through here to uh, try and figure out if there's anything else on the the story that I wanted to say. Well, so. I. Just yeah. as a general question, like, what do you think of the plot's quality, just like in general? Without that's something that like that I was thinking about a lot because this game is like praised for its story, mm-hmm. and like when I was playing through it, it felt very like standard zombie plot. I think it's really held up by the characters. Yeah, I think that the plot of the game is. It's hamstrung by the fact that it is a 13-hour video game, mm-hmm. and they sort of have to keep moving the goalposts and, and make you go do another thing and do another thing. But the the saving grace in the way that this game tells its story is through its character development and, more specifically, through in-game interactions between characters, which I think are maybe not, like, stellar, the best thing about the game, but, like really good and way above the average. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a reason that this game doesn't end with the scene where Joel is carrying Ellie out in a reflection of the opening right. and instead ends at the lie. And that's because what they were actually caring about is the development of the relationship between these two people right. and not like the implications for the world and what's going to go on. And even if it even if it hadn't had done that, even if it didn't have that character focus, I do think that they had a relatively unique spin this like zombie apocalypse perspective where it, they had characters who well they had at least the character you embody by the end of the game you realize its explicit goal is no longer like the betterment of humankind or right it is subversive survival. in that way yeah which is nice but yeah. it has a lot of moments like that but you were correct uh you are given a task to take somebody from one side of the country to the other to try and cure the virus and that is pretty threadbare and also kind of the only motivation that's given explicitly and the motivation that is sort of supposed to actually drive you forward is entirely personal. Yeah. I think the game I think it succeeds. I think I think that's I think the game does a good job of, of telling that story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's told well and I think it yeah, it's it's held up by the characters and I think it's paced really well. Mm. As I didn't know whether to, to throw this conversation into uh, like the mechanics section or the story section because the two are sort of interwoven here so well. But the final scene of the game, and I like that, I guess two different things. I like first, the last time that you control Joel is him doing a perfect mirror of 
he, the situation he was in when his daughter died, showing like his complete lack of personal growth or any change that happened to him after that moment. Right. And he's still defined by that, and he will always be defined by that forever until the day he somehow stops being a murder truck after he truly becomes a geriatric, <laughs> presumably in The Last of Us Two. Yeah. Um, this is this is exactly the conversation that Andy and I were like kind of hinting at having uh, a week ago about this, like, the ending. And the, the second part of the ending that I like is that that is the last time you control Joel, and by making the final little walking scene at the end put you in control of Ellie, it forces you into a position where you're made to be suspicious of Joel. Right. Suspicious may not even be the strong enough word, but... He, Joel is now othered and separated from you in a way where all of the things that he's talking about, like how great their life is going to be, about how things are going to progress, are now coming off at, like the strange hollowness that you know. Like everything he says no longer seems like it's more than the selfishness that he's just expressing about his, himself and his wants for his life instead of being actually about Ellie. I really liked that they took control away from you at the, there at the end. Mm. It's like, because they, they put you into the shoes of the follower at that point. Through the majority of the game, you're always leading Ellie, and when Jill speaks, you kind of view it as, like, it's your player character speaking, but then he starts, like, when you get to that point at the end, he starts to sound patronizing, and you start, because you, as the player, obviously know that there's something wrong, and the game doesn't allow you to, like, have Ellie just, like, fucking turn around and run away. Yeah. <laughs> like, she becomes omniscient once you give her control. So it puts you into a really uncomfortable position as a player. And I think that that is the kind of thing this game does really well. Yeah. yeah. So, the only other thing that I had is stupid. Good, uh, so good. we should take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk some, some mechanics. Right. Will that include some stupid? It will include some stupid. Good. Welcome back to the podcast, and uh, specifically, welcome back to the Sour Grapes cast, where the grapes are going to get real sour. No, I like these grapes. (laughs) These are good grapes. Uh, These are not good grapes. So I pose a question (laughs) to my fellow podcast hosts. Okay. Mm -hmm. When is exploration bad? When... When aimless exploration is required to advance the plot, when that's ha- what I always say. When you have to do it, but you know what you're going to find isn't exciting. These are, I think, both valid points. I think that yours more obviously applies to this game than Andy's does. Mm-hmm. Mine's more applicable to older games. Yeah. yeah. So, I feel like this ga- this warning, I guess... This is going to be kind of a spiel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so feel free to interrupt me whenever you use so she is. Is it when you know what you're going to find before you even start exploring? This is Well, no, I pose this more of an actual question than a rhetorical one because I don't necessarily have an answer as to how to make this game work mechanically in as much as I think that the game does not work mechanically. Uh, so... The game, this game directs you where to go really well, uh, and it has the environment set up to make the walk from point A 
to point V, wherever you end the, the game, through all of the steps. A pretty brisk pace. You can you could get there without too much of a, a, a hassle. Because the game is incredibly linear. Mm-hmm. It is there's not really there's not divergent paths. You go from one point to the next. And every single point is belabored with all of this this exploration, which is just aimless checking of corners and buildings and drawers and shit for shitty crafting supplies. I think this the crafting system in this game should be publicly ridiculed in order to shame developers out of ever including a crafting system in a game again. It is that bad. So you would have preferred, instead of the game trying to create a mechanical circumstance that forces you to slow down, instead of creating more linear spaces without enemies? Because I think we can agree that the game, especially in the overworld sections, needs the switch in tones between panic and like weird uh, post-apocalyptic beauty. What do you think is bad about the crafting system? I'm glad you asked. Because, <laughs> but like, I'm because, uh... <laughs> like, to me, like it, it's completely inoffensive. Like, not great, but like it, it does the things that it should. Where it, like, it does technically incentivize you to explore because you need the supplies. And B, it's it's giving you choices to make. You're like, do I craft a Molotov or do I craft a health pack? Because they use the same resources. So it, like, it ticks the boxes of what it should do. This is a kind of... I guess, all right, for, to your point originally, mm-hmm. is that this game obviously already has a lot of, of time spent without enemies. Yeah. The majority of this game takes place in... like The combat takes place in arenas, and then in between they fill that space with dialogue. Yeah. I feel like the added time spent in areas looking for shit to pick up is not additive enough to warranting it, like needing that time to be there. Additive to what? Additive to the tone? Additive to your effectiveness in combat? I would say both, because well, as far as your effectiveness in combat, this is kind of where this is why I don't have an answer for this, mm-hmm. and it's because the game is obviously balanced around the idea of the crafting mechanic and scarcity so the big thing with scavenging is is ammo really the the crafting supplies are just there to fill space they're unexciting things that you pick up and frequently don't need and just kind of hang around until like an emergency situation at which point directly after it you're gonna find a thousand more probably on the critical path so I'm really not 100% sure if there's some fat that could probably be trimmed in order to get the runtime of the game down a little bit and just lop off a lot of the searching. As for the the crafting system, there's there's a thing that I remembered about halfway through the game talking to you about. Um, back when I played this game originally. And when I say you, I mean JJ, because I'm the worst at radio. Uh, I remember talking to JJ about this. Where I felt like the crafting was never a limitation on on me. I never crafted in combat. Right. Uh, I rarely used med packs in combat. Honestly, the game seems to expect you to oddly as well. There's a whole like crafting speed based around that. This time that I played it most recently was on New Game Plus, and at the end of the game, every stat was maxed out. I didn't have a single point in crafting speed because it was never important. 
There are even barks for crafting in combat, because I did that for the first time on my second playthrough in the middle of, of a combat scenario, and they'll be like, hurry up! Mm. Like, oh, weird, I didn't even... They'll do that if you heal during combat. That's sometimes. true as well. Um, no, I never found myself doing that either. Yeah. But yeah, so the fact that there was never a limitation made me feel like maybe I should just play the game on hard. Mm-hmm. Didn't think to do that uh, <laughs> at the beginning for this one because I, I didn't remember that until I was already kind of in the thick of it. So I can't really speak. Maybe the hard difficulty makes the crafting seem more relevant, but I feel like if you have decent aim, your supplies are more plentiful than the enemies, just generally. I was never out of things. Uh, whenever I would run out of ammo in a gun that I liked, I just used a different gun yeah. and was See, just fine. I think the crafting... I think it it would probably be a lot more valuable to a different play style. Like, I'm pretty sure like the developers didn't expect people to rely mostly on the guns. Well, that's the thing. And this goes back to something that you brought up during the first half. Is that this game, I, th- I believe that the way that they uh, describe it on the back of the box is that it is a dynamic stealth system. It's a really video gamey term, meaning that you can sneak around and also you can shoot a guy and they're supposed to be seamless. But I found there's an unfortunate number of times when being stealthy is not an option. When they will spawn enemies in who are already aware of you. Enemies become aware of you when any of them see you, even if they don't, like, call for help or whatever. Uh, I don't know if they all have, like, Apple Watches. They're like, oh, his heartbeat stopped. Somebody's here. And so they just run for, like, his nearest location. Um, And that, I think, kind of hinders it. Because I I, I find my style of going through the game, and you guys might have done this differently... Mm -hmm was largely you snuck around until you get caught, and then you nearly effortlessly gunned down the rest of the enemies. See, because like, I found that like the guns in general felt like kind of shitty in comparison to the way they do in other games. Well, they're supposed to. Yeah, and like I felt like that is supposed to deter you from relying on them as much as you did. Like I noticed when you were playing, you were using the gun way more than I did. <laughs> oh, I I used the gun also, I imagine, less than you did, even though I didn't watch you. I, that's mostly because my, like, Bible for this game was, like, bow is bay, brick is bay, like, constantly. I was almost exclusively what I used, unless th- things got, like, real, real bad. I feel like I never had more than seven shots for the bow. Like, seven was, like, uh, like... If there was a like a, a graph that yeah. showed my current amount of bow ammo, uh-huh. seven was like a peak, and then everything else was way down. Like I've walked around the majority of the game with about three shots. Did you use the bow? I used it to kill clickers mostly. Yeah, you can just pick up the arrows, but they break. They break sometimes. on like a percentage. I know, but it was yeah, a, see, it I was enough my... that I could use yeah. it. Yeah, I found myself liking the bow a lot, Same. but also only only ever having, like, three arrows. Yeah. I feel like most of the time I would run out of uh, of arrows for the bow and switch to a gun, a handgun, or a shotgun, because uh, it's a video game and I'm the one playing it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, but, yeah, I think, ideally, like, when I was playing it, I liked when I was, like, I went in, started playing, like, 
trying to do stealth and then I got caught. Then I had to like pop two dudes and then like run away and try to hide again. Like it it felt more I guess like dynamic like they describe it on the box or whatever. Right. Like that's more fun and engaging and exciting to me than just like a cover-based shooter. I'm sympathetic to Chad's point here, I think, but I played it probably most similarly to you, Andy. I uh, was able to use the bow consistently because I was using the brick at pretty much any other time that I would not be using the bow. Did you provide you with a really steady stream of bricks and bottles? Yes. Uh, but every time that I died in this game, I felt like it was because I was being too conservative with resources when I already had way too many resources. Yeah. Like, the last level of the game, uh, which is trash, and we'll talk about why that's trash later. Hate you. Uh, Hate you. I went through, and I was like, now that I know on the second playthrough that this is the last, like, hallway of stupid guys to shoot, I am just going to use my whole arsenal. And so I went through the whole thing just, like, lobbing grenades at people. Like, walking directly up to them and just being like... And just stuffing a grenade in their face. Right. And it was comically effective. And this, in addition to the problems with the crafting system, uh, and I, I felt victim to this too, definitely, makes me feel like this is a difficulty issue. Because this game has not only the harder mode, it has like an ultra-grounded mode that is attending to be like super... Like the survival mode. Yeah, because yeah. I never, despite so much of this game seeming to be designed under the idea that you have like limited resources, and me engaging with the game under that idea too, like I said, I was I'd fucking use the brick constantly because I didn't want to use bullets. I was... Like it turned, turned the crafting system, which I actually do still think I like, into more of an inventory management system for me because I would only craft things when I was at max of resources. Yeah. And but a version of this game where that wasn't true, where like getting a fucking piece of scissors was like a joyous occasion, I think would be neat. Well, I think that that th- is way better. Yeah, I think the ideal thing is that it would have been balanced better, so yeah. that like you had to actually manage your resources. I, I think that it detracts in other ways, though. Um, in adi- like in addition to that way, which because I don't want to say that this game is like easy because mm-hmm. when this game wants to be hard. It sucks, but it can be hard mm-hmm. because, it, it, like, the difficulty curve of the game on normal mode is uh, bad to downright, like, just not thought about in design, I think. Mm-hmm. There will be, you'll go through tons of just easy encounters where there's, like, nothing that really challenges you. And yes, per- perhaps on harder difficulties, this would be more of a, like, reasonable scale Mm -hmm. but then you'll hit like one thing that takes you like nine tries and it just seems it seems like the things that they want to be hard they make way too hard and everything else is too simple and they give you too much stuff to get through it uh i guess i kind of agree with that like there is kind of a contrast between like the hard moments yeah. And everything else. Weirdly, like... I agree. Yeah. I, I, I found one inconsistency, I guess, in that uh, when I was thinking about the game before I played it, yeah. I was dreading the scene in Winter where you're Ellie in the, like, weird warehouse thing with oh, the, the bridge. The defense mode? Yeah. Oh, I actually really enjoyed defense mode. When I played it this time, I didn't die. But I died, like, 
12 times in 2014 when I played this. They don't know what happened there. Though uh, there was a hilarious moment where uh, like where you take the rifle from the sad man mm-hmm. and he's like and like uh, I'd really like to have my rifle back and you're like go fuck yourself. <laughs> and then I proceeded to miss five shots consecutively <laughs> and he was like you're a better shot with that thing than I am. Oh, I was like, is... that's really bad for you dude. <laughs> How did you stay alive this long? I was hoping that was contextual because I heard the line as well but I guess <laughs> did you also oh you were hoping it's contextual because you hit the shots. Yeah yeah yeah. I was like oh that's cool character development for the rapist guy because he's like trying to be complimentary. Right. I guess they, they prioritize the character development over it making sense in context. <laughs> but, that was a terrible shot. I just yeah. stabbed him. <laughs> I really like that scene in Winter because even on, again, even on normal difficulty where I felt like I had too much resources normally, every time you're thrown into Ellie's shoes, both in the Winter and in the DLC, it acts as a reset button for you where you don't have the built-up tension anymore, and I feel like I'm playing the game the way that it was designed to be played, where I'm like, oh, fuck yes, I finally have enough to build a grenade now. Right. I actually really liked that progression both times I played through it, but you're definitely right about the uneven difficulty curve. There were some weird spikes. The hardest one for me came early, which I can probably partially blame on me not knowing the systems as well yet, but I, my first time I ran through this game years ago, I had a ton of difficulty on the first, like, big room full of monsters in the, uh, uh, like, skyscraper that's the, like sl- the hilarious slanted building yeah you're, you're going you're going to the slanted building and you like drop down by yourself to, like care, take care of things in advance i was literally gonna be like, the part where you drop down yep. yeah that, yeah i know exactly what yeah that was a huge mm-hmm. spike for me when i when i first played it and that that definitely could have been smoother yeah there were basically the the area where you fall down the elevator into the water was probably the hardest part for me uh it's just a room that has lots of runners and uh, after you turn on a generator using the incredibly exciting press triangle three times minigame. Oh, yeah. Uh, that looks like it's interactive, but it's not. It, oh, it's not even interactive? Like, That's you just I've... put the controller down? No, 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 no. Not like that. You have to oh. press triangle the three right, times. Yeah. But I mean, is that like, I thought that it was like contextual, like, oh, if you hit within this range, then you're like, you'll do it better. Nope. Did yeah. like active tests on it. It's just always the same. It's just three times. Yeah. It's pretty stupid. But once you do that, a bloater. I think is what they're called, Yep. Uh, shows up. And, like, for some reason I couldn't do that at all this time because I kept getting, like, flanked. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was really sad. It was because I was trying to use the rifle more because I didn't use the rifle at all in my first playthrough. Sounds like you. Yeah. <laughs> Fair. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, so then it's just kind of a weird inconsistency. I don't think it breaks anything. No. Not like the crafting system. <laughs> I... The difficulty with me, even in judging like weird, uneven difficulty curves like this, is that it's hard to tell how much of the challenge was sort of intentionally or not self-imposed for me, because like I went through these situations being like, I want to do it perfectly, which means I'm not going to go in there just starting with the flamethrower. I'm going to go in there in brick mode until something goes poorly. Right. So I'm worried that like maybe at some point along the line I could have made the situation much easier for myself by doing what you did during the last level, which was just like, fuck this, I'm winning, no questions asked, no matter what the cost is. Right, and just tossed grenades at them. Yeah. The, the trick, the trouble, though, a lot of the time is that, and this is like, at this point, a ludicrous callback, uh, we talked about Transistor, how they had a weird habit of just, there weren't a lot of differences in, in enemies, they just 
kind of mixed and matched where they put the enemies. Mm-hmm. This game has the opposite problem to that, where they're like, what would be a cool challenge? What if it was all clickers? That's not a cool challenge. It's not cool and it's not a challenge. Because clickers can't see you. So you just move slowly and just shiv each of them yeah. and just, I win. It didn't, I, it just took me longer to walk down a hallway. <laughs> and the, yeah, and then the instance that, uh, in the university that Andrew, Andy, that's weird. I've never called you Andrew before. Uh, <laughs> no, not never. <laughs> no, uh, never. <laughs> uh, that Andy watched me play last night was like a bunch of clickers and a, a bloater. And like, I, tried to stealth it and realized that it just wasn't worth it so I just walked directly to the bloater and just burned him and then opened the door like (laughs) there are all these ways to bypass the difficulty in this game unless they put you into like a locked door arena fight yeah which is why I partially do like the locked door arena fights yeah they're fine yeah but I, Your version of perfect is also different than mine, because for you, perfect is having no one notice you. And for me, perfect is just hitting headshots. <laughs> <laughs> True. I, it, you were talking about bloaters specifically. I, I agree that I don't really think that they, or clickers in some circumstances, are actually like a good enemy design choice. Like, they both are super evocative designs. Like, the sort of thing that look fucking awesome in concept art. Yes. Uh, and when you're just talking about design abstractly. But I totally agree with you about clickers just forcing tense moments and punishing mistakes really, really hard, but not really being engaging in the thing that you're doing. Like, the thing that you can't mess up is moving really slowly. Right. Uh, and bloaters are different in that they make this, like, really solid first impression during their arena fight where it's, like, flanked by other guys. But by themselves, they're almost, like, boring in my... Yeah, yeah they're really They walk slow. really slowly toward you and occasionally throw, like, a pustule. Yeah. Unless explodes. you don't, like, get stuck in a corner against a wall or something. You're, like, totally fine. Yeah. What they should have been was, like, fucking hulks. They should have been something extremely threatening to, to you at all distances. Sort of like how, um... Those like super buff locusts and Gears of War were. I was thinking the uh, the tank in Left for Dead, but yeah, like same obviously not to that extreme. <laughs> yeah. You don't want to be like circle strafing in this game and like just unloading, right? But the bloaters give you the something else. They just they looked cool. Your death animation when they grab you is they definitely just cool. Rip your face in half. Yeah, they <laughs> do. Really good. Also, if you've ever seen, because like I don't think that I ever get. I, I never had this happen during my first playthrough. Every time that I get killed by one of those, it like the camera's like, <laughs> and just like right on, and he pulls your jaw open. Uh-huh. If you get, if you, I don't know how I triggered it, but if you get the death animation to play with the camera facing behind you, it's it's great because he like does like it plays the same music and like. But when he pops your jaw, there's just like a explosion of blood out from your face <laughs> because you can't see where your face is. It's just like, <laughs> like you were just a water balloon the whole time, walking around trying to trick this girl into thinking that you were like her fake dad. <laughs> Can I talk yeah. about more about how the crafting system detracts from this game? Yeah, yeah I, I feel like these kind of issues, though, like weren't as big of a problem for me because like i feel like both of you are way more experienced with this type of a game than i am 
And I had to fig- like wonder if they factored that kind of thing into the design. Like, yeah. make to make it more accessible. It's, it's also possible that JJ and I should both, like, just grow up and start choosing hard as, like, the default difficulty yeah, in games. Yeah, that's actually my real position here, is that I feel like I should have just picked hard. Yeah. But this is the other like, problem. I had some challenge with, like, regular enemy fights where it seems like you guys didn't. Yeah. I also sort of, wi- like, the, the problem that I have with wanting to pick hard on this game is... I don't. I want to engage with the crafting system less, not more, because of this. And this is uh, the fact that it pulls you away from the railroading that this game does. And it makes you, one, notice the railroading a lot more, and two, like, totally act contrary to how a real person would behave in a situation. So, like... In the scene where you're, where you meet up with Bill finally, and he he's like, "All right, well, we just ran through this area and locked the door behind us. Now we gotta move. Stay on my ass." Mm-hmm. And he says that, but it's like all echoey because I'm off in a fucking like third room of a house in a bedroom picking up rolls of duct tape and half scissors like it's kill the fucking kill. <laughs> Like, I don't understand the pr- purpose of of making you break off from scripted sequences to go yeah. get things. This isn't something that's, like, unique to this game, though. Like, it, like so many games have shit like that. It's unique to this game. The problem in this game is unique in itself because the the game does not do things to undermine its story. But the entire mechanic set undermines the game's story in the crafting. The mechanic set wouldn't undermine it if they were... Well, two things. First, if crafting systems were far rarer. And second, if the opportunities you had to look for crafting was, was far lessened. Right. That's, I think this could work if there were... if it, Not only were the crafting items rarer, but the locations in which you can like press triangle to open a drawer were rarer. But... A great way to do that would be to just take the crafting system and throw it in the trash and instead have you just find Molotovs and health packs, which is an established thing that video games did for 15 years before crafting systems started to come into like popularity. This game does it quite rarely, too. You can actually just yeah, pick you can just pick things up. And it's supposed to be like a big moment, but you pick it up. Or more likely, you go, I can't pick that up because I have all of the necessary crafting materials to make three of these and I'm carrying three. The only utility to it, other than just picking up the items, is the opportunity of player choice that Andy was talking about forever ago relative to this stuff. Like, the reason that you get scissors is because scissors have different utilities for things. And even though I am trying to make this point in favor of the game, I'm not quite sure how much that assists either, but I feel like... The part of the reason I'm unsure is because I went through the tainted like medium playthrough where I didn't feel like I was ever truly constrained. Yeah. Like I want that I think that could have been good if it was ever a hard decision. Yeah. I feel like the problem like I said earlier is the balancing cuz like I think in like a, a world where they had balanced it better and you actually felt like you were strapped for resources would have fit really well with like the theme of it being like a zombie apocalypse 
and you're searching for resources. Yeah, I, and I agree with that. I think that if it was scarcer and it was a thing that that it felt rewarding to actually do, and they just took it out of the scenes where it was where there was plot happening. Right. It would make, I, the, yeah, I can the, agree with that. The scene in the neighborhood where they're like the stray dogs. Mm-hmm. The like getting to those houses, which are like a, a gold mine of shitty crafting material, would feel like a reward and like a a big like oh like thank finally that I'm here can get all of my half scissors and duct tape, as opposed to a chore, which is what it feels. You're like oh I gotta check a t- two whole more houses to yeah. check like Jesus, just let me move to the next thing. Without feeling bad, because I am not playing mechanically optimally. I agree with that, too. And Also, the more that they would limit both the opportunities to check and the resources you acquire, the more that it would make sense for the mechanics they built in based around in-combat crafting. The more utility those would have, too, because you as a player would be incentivized to keep all of your scissors and your tape and your etc. To make an even clearer example, the resources that you would use for a Molotov or a health pack you wouldn't know which one you would need because, you, and you only have enough for say one of each. Right. So, th- you'd be forced to make the choice, maybe in a circumstance you didn't want to, or instead of planning for it, now you've got to be like, oh, I need this now, and you and have to go you through. Pull two. your backpack out and start like yeah. jamming through things. So, it, but and that seems like another problem that could have hypothetically been solved on hard. Right. The only thing that I don't know that could have been solved on hard, uh, because I don't know really how the models work in this game, is. Whether or not on hard, you have exactly the same number of drawers, but less stuff. Stuff? That would suck, also. Yeah, if you're just opening tons of drawers and not actually getting anything for it. Yeah, if you're just lowering the percentage, that would be bad. And the other thing is, in the sa- in exactly the same vein as that, is the, the things that are actually exciting to find, scrap and, and pills, mm-hmm. are so few and far between as compared to things that you don't care about that you just pick up on routine. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I don't know. Like, are you including the gun update upgrade system in the... Yeah, things that improve you on a permanent basis, as opposed to just give you items to use. Cause, okay. Because, like, gun upgrades feel good. I don't actually know... I, I upgraded clip size on all of my guns, like, immediately. Yeah. Because it gives you, like, a tangible thing that you can tell is, is different. Whereas everything else is kind of, like, seems a little intangible. Where you're like, oh, it increases the spread? Like, is that a... Is that a good thing? Yeah. Like, presumably it's a good thing, but I don't know why. There's some more tangible things, like draw distance on the bow, putting a scope on the rifle. Yeah, the scope on the rifle was was big, because I didn't upgrade the rifle at all in my first playthrough. And when I put both points into scope, I was like, oh, fuck. But I agree, it sort of runs into the problem where they didn't want to put numbers in front of your face because of the kind of tone they're going for in this video game. Yeah. So, but they still wanted you to have a bunch of like choices and ways that you can improve your weaponry. So it turns like make guns stronger into how can this be an intelligent decision? How much stronger is this gun? I don't really have that information. Right. Any more crafting shitting you wanted to just generally? Uh, the only other thing directly related to the crafting system that I wanted to mention was the animation of you picking things up off the ground. Um, they should have consolidated scrap way more into those, like, boxes of scrap of, like, five or ten uh-huh. and having a bunch of them. Because, like, when you're running and then you're, like, scrap and then you start mashing triangle and Joel's just, like, pretending that he's a crab <laughs> and, like, swinging his arm back and forth. He looks, looks like he's, like, wiping things. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks really stupid. Like It does look kind of... You're already, like, downing, like... 
handfuls of pills and uh, presumably entire plants at once. And there are already, like, piles of scrap that you can pick up. Like, just, just let's, like... We're not questioning the vibe, like, oh, he's got to pick up each individual piece of scrap <laughs> because it's more realistic that way. Now eat a hundred painkillers so that your life bar goes up. <laughs> We're not questioning the the reality of the situation. It just looks goofy. I agree. I agree. <laughs> that was the only other thing I had, and it was only tertiarily related to uh, the crafting. Okay. So, uh, during those scenes where the game is trying to lead you from place to place, uh, where you are not going to that place, you're instead going into a bedroom to pick up the tape. Right. Um, there's, a, there's a problem that a lot of 3D games have with leading your character from one place to another while still making it feel tense, even though the reality of the situation is you could just park it and not move and you would be fine. And I think this game does a pretty good job of keeping you moving uh, than a lot of other games that I've played. You don't end up with situations where, like, you are running and, like, being held back by a really slow-moving NPC with the exception of the tutorial, which on your second playthrough is, like, hurts to do because you're like, oh, please, can we just move forward? <laughs> Stop talking to this guy on a bus. I don't need to talk to him. Uh, a lot of characters sort of move you along. They keep the actual present danger of their being infected around yeah. to keep you moving. Uh, and they use the color yellow so insanely much in this game to drive you forward. What? Hey, did you not notice this? No. No. Oh. Okay. You probably had a much better experience with this. I, I know that I only started noticing it, like, partway through my first playthrough. So, like, it took me a little while. But every single thing that is mission critical is yellow. The, like, ledges you can climb on have yellow paint. There's yellow caution tape that's, like, draped over everything that's important. The plank, there's, like, a, a pallet that's in, like, a sunken house in the hydroelectric dam yeah. that has streamers of yellow coming off of it it gets hilarious at the at the at the middle of spring where there's that puzzle puzzle where you have to like go knock a pallet down and then pull a ladder off a wall the ladders have yellow on them the, too now the, that I think about it the ladder's yellow there's a big yellow stripe running along the path you're supposed to go to the ladder itself is yellow there's yellow on the tops of the thing it's like a crazy yellow room <laughs> like it's overpowering when you know they're trying to signal things with it yeah it's the amount of yellow in this game is is just bizarre. Like, it is notably weird, and it, it's kind of odd to me that it didn't, like, stick out to you. I feel like you just number 23'd yourself into a horrible circumstance here. Like, except... But the, the, the <laughs> like the movie. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. <laughs> difference being is that you were totally right about the conspiracy. <laughs> well, it's not really a conspiracy. Like, games do that kind of stuff all the time. Oh, I yeah. know. All I'm saying is that it is... That you looked behind the curtain of reality here. Yeah, you, you saw the man behind the curtain. Yeah, you found the eldritch truth about the color yellow. <laughs> it's yeah, insane. I guess usually games use like light sources, and I find that I notice those a lot now, and I, I just didn't 
pick up on the yellow paint. Yeah, we commented on this in Doom. Yeah, was the it like, green lights. Yeah. yeah, green light. Well, they put, like, green flashing lights. Those are, I guess, a little bit more apparent because they're, like, they are signal lights. That is their purpose in, in the universe. And, and they also stand out more in their environment, like, that they don't belong there. Right. Yeah, there's more contrast there. And obviously they picked yellow to contrast, but they also picked yellow because they could have a lot of relatively realistic excuses. Yeah, pl- like, I mean, it's in the logo, too. It's, like, black, white, and yellow. Yeah. If you, like, just pull up a save in the middle of a game and just go through and just look for things that are yellow, it is crazy. There are literal wet floor signs dotting your way through the subway station in that section at the beginning of summer where they the click where they like introduce clickers to you. Mm-hmm. They like you just walk it's like yellow wet floor signs in like a breadcrumb trail <laughs> leading you to where you're supposed to go. Yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah. Like I don't need to like go back and look for proof. <laughs> well I'm just saying it's amusing to go back thinking about it and like mm-hmm. yeah, this noticing is a, what's going on. I imagine this is what it feels like to like study like game design or even like things like like movies like how and stuff and you yep. just can't play a game without noticing that kind of stuff and it probably drives you crazy. Yep. I don't know if it drives me crazy. It drove me a little crazy in this game. It sounds like it drove you crazy. It just seemed like every city planner in America had like a weird thing for the color yellow. They're like fire escapes. Uh, put some yellow tape on that. Is that a ledge? Go, like, paint just here, paint it yellow, please. Drafts, good. <laughs> good put them in the city. Go toward drafts, because they are yellow. <laughs> <laughs> I guess something that I could bring up here is at the tail end of that last conversation, mm-hmm. uh, Chad was talking about um, what was it that stood out to you? The, uh, the color yellow? Not before that. <laughs> God, no, I can't remember what it was. Was it the the railroading? The way that the game like keeps tension? Uh, yeah, I think it was related to that. Like how it you you brought up that with that NPC, um, Frank was was that his name? Bill. Bill. Uh, from Star Fox. From Star Fox. Yeah. Uh, it, he was like, stay on my ass, and you were already, like, way ahead of him. Yeah. And, like, I think that stuff stands out more in this game because of the degree of realism that they're going for. Yeah. And, like, I feel like there's a lot of little things that, like, you wouldn't even notice in most games that stand out in this one because it, it comes off like it's above those things. Like and generally, that, it succeeds. Yeah, yeah. But there's like a lot of little things that you can nitpick like that that really stand out in this game. Like crabbing. Yeah. Cra- like uh, the crab. That's probably I think that's what it was. The animations. Yeah. Certain animations look goofy because like the rest of the game does such a good job of making things look natural that when he does his little crab walk, right. it looks like so <laughs> stupid. Yeah. The it is it, that is a, a a fairly good point. It's kind of that um uncanny valley kind of situation where something that looks realistic enough starts to like do something that is entirely inhuman like crabbing yeah uh it yeah it really kind of it starts to feel video gamey yeah Yeah. humor is all about subverting expectations so when you raise the bar so high Mm -hmm. i think it's like you brought up like my character wouldn't be scavenging this room when he's supposed to be following this guy through this dangerous area. And, like, literally all games have those problems. 
but it stands out in this one. Like, you play, you boot up Skyrim, and they're like, oh, visit the Greybeards to learn about the impending dragon threat. And you're like, no. I'm going to explore. I'm just going to go fuck around for 80 hours. <laughs> <laughs> then I'll come back to this. Like, I mean, all games have those problems where, like, the mechanics undermine the story. Well, I don't necessarily... All narrative-heavy games have that problem. I don't think that's true. Give me an example. Give me five examples. I would... <laughs> There is 16 <laughs> this, is a, this is a hell of a quiz. Well, Where okay. that's not the case. When it comes to narrative-heavy games, you literally can just say any walking simulator doesn't have this problem because okay. it doesn't have mechanics to get in the way. Fair. This is, I guess, sort of the problem with stapling mechanics onto a game that that, that is linear and narrative-heavy. like But when you look at just games, like AAA games in particular, uh, any game that uses its mechanics as a way to further the themes of the game get, can get away with so much more. Oh, yeah. And I think that this game is... See, I think those kind of games are very far and few between, though. Well, just look at some of the games we've talked about. Resident Evil 4 uses its mechanics, and you never feel like you're wasting your time going around to rooms to look for, for shit to pick up. Ever yeah, but you spend your time doing like stupid, goofy puzzles. You spend your you spend your time doing stupid, goofy puzzles in this game as well. Yeah, they're just fewer puzzles, and they're easier and way stupider in this game than they are in Resident Evil, which is like a, a series known for being the king of stupid puzzles. Right. <laughs> this game is every puzzle has its solution five feet away, marked with yellow paint, and it's always the and same it's always puzzle. the same three things: either a plank of wood, a ladder, or a pallet. Yeah, and all of this to say. I like this game. I just take issue with people calling it like a masterpiece because it's a really good story tacked onto a mediocre video game. Yeah, I think this and I, tacked on is really negative. I mostly, not what I, <laughs> I mostly agree with that statement. I think this is a great game with a lot of little problems that add up from keeping it from being as good as it could have been mechanically. Yeah. I think in in the story too, personally. It's it's one of those circumstances also where they're knowledgeable enough about how to subvert player expectations with mechanics that the game will often throw in things where, for example, uh, in spring, right before the giraffe scene, when Ellie is clearly being like despondent and not really there, mm -hmm. all of your interactions with her and all the puzzles that you go through are either like delayed responses, so fucking drop the ladder... They, they'll use situations like this to signal things about the narrative all the time. But that doesn't really make the mechanics good. It's just... It's difficult to describe. I feel like with almost any mechanic set, you could do some sort of subversion like that if you're, you know, narratively intelligent enough. Yeah. There, it's... The, the, in those situations, the mechanics are, like, reinforcing the character actions, not necessarily the narrative. Sure, sure. But, I mean... That's sort of a that's sort of a muddy distinction, yeah. right? Like like when you get like is whether or not Ellie is currently like headstrong about herself, currently scared, currently like despondent, is that part of character development or the narrative? It just sort of feels uh, like different elements of zooming out on the same. I feel like that's clearly part of like the in moment like character development than the greater narrative. I mean, I. The character development, as we discussed before, is sort of like the crux of the narrative itself. I agree that it, it is more of a character-building moment than it is like a narrative-forwarding moment. Right. But it, 
it they because they work to the same end. I think that you can say that you know transitively by having this affect a change on a, on a character, it also affects a change on the way that you perceive the narrative. I, I think it's all done well, though. Yeah, yeah. I think that's done well. And the point that I was trying to make when I brought it up before was that I think you can do that well with almost any mechanic set. I don't think that's, like, evidence for the mechanic set being good. I think that's evidence for, I don't know, like, their trope awareness being good and their them having a, a, a good mindset about what their goals were and what they were trying to express about the actors in any particular scene. Right. And it seems like the, the note about... Joel lawnmowering through human lives, as you described before, does sort of lend itself to what this mechanic set really is. Because, truth be told, with the exception of the crafting system, and to some extent using a stealth system in a game with zombies, uh, is a little bit kind of shoddy. I think the mechanics of movement and shooting and, and mantling, and the way that, like, they keep you on the right path because you can't jump off of things that are... They don't have fall damage in the game because it wouldn't let you jump off of something that would cause it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think all works well within the game and within the universe of the game. I like the fact that when you start the game, you are a terrible shot and your gun sways back and forth crazily. Yep. Uh, we miss anything? I'm pretty good. There's, I. The only thing... Uh, that I think I may have missed my opportunity to talk about. And so if this turns into a good conversation, I can probably find a place to put it. Mm-hmm. Um, was just, uh, as Andy asked our one errant Twitch viewer who showed up last night, <laughs> uh, how do you feel about the stealth system in this game? Like, as compared to like a more dedicated stealth game. And I don't even know what your experience with stealth games are, really. Uh, the Metal Gear. It's fair. I've played my Metal Gears. I've played my Mark of the Ninjas. I've got you know two D and three D samplings, and of course I've played through enough mainline like AAA three D games that there's just gonna fucking be a stealth section <laughs> every time. Uh, and I don't know. It feels sort of like non-distinct. You're right about it often having problems where the clickers and things that you interact with make it so that it's. Less, what you're actually doing is less engaging than it should be, but it just seems to fall into all the same pitfalls that stealth systems in 3D games normally do. It's really vague, uh, like when or not you're going to be seen by something. Thankfully, the game does give you that audio cue that I actually like with that like little rising action note. Yeah. But line of sight is ambiguous. Like you can game it a little bit, which I often did in my you know like my elite brick skills required me to often be in perspectives where someone was looking for me but I had to get behind them even like I'm like behind a bar for example and they're like right in front of the bar right. there was a million times where like they would turn the corner on the bar and like be about to see me in front of a wall and I just go mantle over the wall oh yeah and then just go behind and brick them it's really funny to me that like in something that I did frequently in this game is that if somebody was coming toward me and I was but like behind an object the least obvious thing for you to do would be the most obvious action to perform, which is to just jump over the block, and they just wouldn't notice you do it because there's, like, a second of time where they can't see you. Right, yeah. Yeah, one thing related to the stealth that, like, stuck out to me, it's, like, the first time I went to do a stealth kill, like, I was kind of, like, 
near a doorway and like I was initiated the kill and then like a dude like walked into you know frame and I was like oh shit and my first instinct was to like try to drag him through the doorway and like out of sight right and I'm like how is this not a thing you can do in this game <laughs> it was like the first thing I tried to do was like drag the guy into like a closet yeah where like he wouldn't be seen the the thing that this game does that in that regard that other stealth games like a game that is dedicated to stealth does because this is a rule of the genre is that like people can find bodies and also people can like shoot you while you're doing a stealth kill but this game lets you do nothing about that so yeah if you like grab a guy you can drag him somewhere where he won't be seen when you strangle him but like who does that? You bash square when you grab a guy. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, like, so you'll be choking a dude out, and a guy will notice you, and Joel will diligently continue choking yeah. that guy while just being shot repeatedly. Or you'll he you start choking a guy who's standing next to another guy, and he won't notice. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, and then the other thing is that you, if you kill a dude, his body is just permanently there, yeah. and just waiting for someone to be like, oh, there's a guy here. Yeah, and that's just like, something that stuck out to me. The mechanics seem to imply that, like, the partial solution to this problem should have been shivs, but that doesn't really seem to be the case. Yeah, it still is a problem of just leaving bodies where they lie. Right. It is fast and quiet, but it's... I don't know. When was sound ever a problem, also, other than the, like, boss fight where sound was, like, the mechanic that you were running away from? I mean, from. with clickers. Right. But, but, I mean, like, in ways that you could avoid it. Oh. Like... Because yeah, any time that you would want to... Any time that you were s stealthing, you're just crouched. And when you're crouched, you just don't make noise. It doesn't seem to matter how fast you're going, except potentially with clickers. It matters with just clickers. Okay. So you can walk at full speed full crouching speed behind a human being forever and they'll never notice you right and it's i don't know it just it, yeah because the choking out thing even if you're by a clicker won't alert them that's right that's what i was yeah. referring to it seems like like if i'm tracking a group of people who have walked past me i can even though it seems like i should be using the shiv there to be like taking them out silently one behind each other i can just choke them normally right. And they make a bunch of noise while they're being yeah, 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 and no one notices. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I agree it's a half-baked 3D action game stealth system. But it, yeah. it's I found, so reliant on it, though. Yeah. yeah. I found myself enjoying it more than in regular stealth games, but I think that's just because I'm not a huge fan of stealth games. I, and and I, I didn't have to stick to it. I could just be like, fuck this. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's because it is mushier and makes it more enjoyable to Because, like... I am dog shit at stealth games. <laughs> I know this because one of my favorite games is Metal Gear Solid 2, and I'm dog shit at that game. Mm -hmm. uh, but this basically, a, a stealth game has like there are three main things, like to plan out when you're doing a, a stealth thing in a game, and you gather information, you wait for your target to commit to an action, and then you react to that action. And in this game, sometimes your target is somebody who isn't going to act in a way that could possibly be expected, and you'll be sneaking up behind someone from, like, one foot away, and they'll just go, like, 
bah! <laughs> and then tackle you. Because it's actually a zombie, and they'd kill you in one hit and eat shit, Joel. Uh, <laughs> I feel like some rage might I got a mixed in at the end. Of I don't think it's there. really difficult. I'm just saying it, it's it's a re, it's like a wrinkle in the ability to like plan a stealth a thing. I found it way easier to just like stay a thousand feet away from everybody and just walk through an area without engaging. I would feel remiss if I didn't mention the music and the title screen not like separately all of the music and the title screen and all of the title screen including the title screen music yeah that's fair the way that it shifts also i should have checked this i don't know if it if it's dynamic and senses when after you've completed the game or whether this was just my change in how i understood the music like my like my change in how I understood the music between the two times. Because after I beat the game, that like opening weird sort of like violin thing sounded so much shriller and like so much more... Just... Like more sinister to you. Yes. That I feel like it probably doesn't change, but I have literally no way to back that up without uh, checking the internet. It, it's... It was subtle. I liked how subtle the music was. Yeah, I did note uh, that the the music in this game did it. The, the, the problem, and the problem that I have with, like, every time that we try to talk about music is that I don't have the expertise to yeah, be able to, like... none of us have the vocabulary. Yeah, to explain why it's good, other than to say that it is good. I liked the fact that it was, like... There was never a point where I noticed the music above anything else. It was like... The music was always just underscoring things, and it was quiet when it needed to be quiet, and it was loud when it needed mm-hmm. to be loud. Title screen's pretty cool, though. Yeah. Fucking vines. It is really <laughs> memorable. That's true. Is that like really? It's just like you just like the title screen a lot. Oh yeah, it's really understated and pretty, and evokes all the themes that the game wanted to, and animates, and the UI is kind of like bad on it, though. It's like. I like the honks. That was actually a really good like PlayStation noise <laughs> impression you just did. Thank you. Uh, well, I just no the UI specifically like the fact that it was like uh, the font and the the weird placement of the options that could be toggled in kind of the middle of the screen with the arrows next to it. It didn't sit well with me. I didn't think it was that aesthetically pleasing. What was behind that was great. <laughs> Think that your desktop background? I should. So, now that we've completed this game, and again, we are only working off of the first trailer here. But what <laughs> well, do you guys I wanted feel? to talk about the ending. Did we not talk about the ending? No. We, Chad and I brought up that we had talked about the ending previously, and you said that you liked certain things about the ending, but we didn't talk about the ending. Like. Also, I never watched the trailer for The Last of Us 2, so I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> That's not what I meant. I just, it was even less related to the trailer, but uh, all, the thing I wanted to say in context to that was that I, I, I find it weird that this game would even have a sequel. Oh, I, I, I agree with that, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, think, well, I think that the game kind of sets itself up to have a sequel. I think that Naughty Dog is a, is a developer that loves to make sequels. Or, at the very least make sequels to all of their major properties, so I'm just making that assumption. Uh, they like money. They like, they're like they a company that likes money a lot. 
Come uh, on, fine, greed, greed. What about the ending? Uh, well, I, I guess I'll launch off of what Chad said there. It's like, I do think it leads off, like, open for a sequel. Mm-hmm. And I think that plays into, like, things that I don't like about the ending. Because, like, I'm very torn. Because, like, there are th- I, you know, in a sense, I kind of like it. And on the other hand, I kind of hate it. Because, like, the last scene... Like, I think it's because I'm used to traditional storytelling, and, like, I hate how the last scene paints Joel as just, like, a selfish douchebag who just, like, like, just threw humanity in the garbage can so he could play dad for the rest of his life. And, like, I just, that left a really sour taste in my mouth. I think that sour is supposed to be and I about hate, Joel. Yeah, and I hate that he lies to her. Is like the is how it ends. Like the very end, it's hard cut to credits. Did you ever like him? I mean, like, kinda a little bit. Like, I want I wanted to see him come out the other side, a better person, and he his character goes nowhere. Y- yes, and I just. <laughs> <laughs> Like I said before about about the, the weird iterations where after the where the reason that they mirrored the scene with his daughter dying with right. him running out with Ellie is because he hasn't changed at fucking all. at all from that point. Right. I just I just don't like it. Like, and I think part of why I feel so strongly about it is that it's the way the that last sequence is edited. Where what's the woman's name? The black woman. Marlena. Is that her name? The Firefly? I thought it was Marlene. Or Mar- Whatever, her. Yeah. Uh, she's, she's like, pleading with him to, like, like let them harvest whatever they need from Ellie's brain, you know, for the good of humanity, blah, blah, blah. And then it cuts to him driving away in the car. Right. And, like, that was, like, so effective for me. Like, I almost, like, welled up. Like, I thought that he had, like, let her go and he was driving away alone. And then, like, seconds later, it's she wakes up in the back seat. I know that. And I was like... <sighs> that's, what they were, that's what they were wanting from me. Yeah, though. and I'm like... But then, like, instead of, like... I, I feel like I'm unable to appreciate it, because I feel like they made the decision to do it that way so they could do The Last of Us 2. Like, I feel like if they had decided we're doing this as a standalone thing, they would have ended it with Ellie dying could not have disagreed more on that point. I, in fact, I think there are early interviews, which is part of the reason why I wanted to bring up discussion in the trailer, where they talked about how specifically they did not want to make a sequel to this game, and how the, they attempted, and that they understood that the like lie ending was weird, but the lie ending was an intentional choice because it's like the last moment of development in the relationship of these two, where it shows that Joel is now willing to put his relationship with Ellie on the line in order to try and like make her life better and thus make his dad life more of a reality. Yeah, I in there was no reality where Joel would have been redeemed at right. the end of this game. I just <laughs> they they tease you with I, it. Yeah, I see. I that's what I, I think. That's part of, and that might just be my own personal feelings. But I feel like they set it up that way, and then they just undercut it in a way that's like unsatisfying. Set up what? Joel's being a shit being a shitbag. Like. They said, I think they set it up to the point where he's like going, like that he's changed. Like, I feel like leading up to the ending, like that last chapter, feels like Joel has like progressed as a character a bit. Like, it feels like he's met, he's like, he lost his daughter, 
then he had 20 years of just becoming a hardened, like, don't give a fuck guy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Then he's gone through this whole thing with Ellie, and it's slowly knocked down the wall Agreed. and helped him cope. And, like, that last... The, the spring chapter, it feels like he's matured and that, like, he's... His priority... Like, he feels like he's got, finally gotten over the thing that's been weighing him down his whole life. And then it comes right in at the end. There's, like, this extreme circumstance that makes him do a 180 and go right back to where he started. Like, I feel like it hints that he's making progress and he's having an actual character arc. And then they're like... Nope. <laughs> Gone. And then could they even tease you with it? With the him actually le- like sacrificing her. So it gives you that whole arc. <laughs> and then takes it away. The, the progression is a, is a good point. And he absolutely has the progression. But I always attributed that progression to his progression with his relationship with Ellie. Not with his priorities changing. Like... He absolutely, and, and they make tons of points about this, the way that he treats his relationship with his dead daughter changes dramatically mm-hmm. from it from him never wanting to talk about anything that he ever lost to now him willing to just openly share pretty much anything with Ellie by the time we get to the spring. Yeah, for me, like, it, it felt like it paralleled. Like, he tied his whole, like, the way he is now to the fact that, it's like he used the fact that his daughter died as an excuse and, like, through his relationship with Ellie, it, like, helped him get over all of that and just, like, become a normal person again. But every time shit hit the fan with him, he was always willing to tear off a kneecap yeah. to get back the thing that was important to him. Yeah, and that's why I don't think, like, he, he felt like he never quite got there, but it felt like he was going there. And that's exactly the point that they were going for. He did not get there, didn't. because once the... Once the thing he cared about got threatened, he tore off more kneecaps. Yep. I just... I think that... And like I said... We all have an objective understanding of how this... How his development went. Mm -hmm. And I think that we just disagree on how much we liked what happened. Yeah. Because, like, I love the ending of this game. Uh, I think it's probably, like, the, the best payoff in terms of uh, a game story, like, possibly ever, because it is just such a downer, where it gets to the end and you realize that, like, everybody sucks, and <laughs> you're a dickbag, and probably everyone is now gonna die. Like, everything that could possibly go wrong is going wrong, and that's the kind of story that I like for some reason. <laughs> Yeah, like, it's, I, like, I understand all of that, and in a way I like how it's subversive. But, like, there is something about it. Like, I think even if you're going to have a subversive ending, there should be something satisfying about it. Or there should be some kind of closure. Or there should be, like, something to it, which I feel like this ending doesn't have. The at lie, least for me, personally. The lie was the closure for me. The lie was ah, the point at that's which... That's my least favorite part. At which Ellie was going... To, at which Ellie is a smart human being, and they've set up that situation during the last walk to make you be in her role and have the same sort of questions about Joel's motivations and the thing that she can do. Because, like, think about how the ending went from Ellie's perspective, right? Mm-hmm. She went she went unconscious in a river, and next time she wakes up, she's in, like, a hospital gown without any of her shit in the back of a truck she's never seen before with Joel, mm-hmm. and everything gets relayed to her from him. Like, it makes sense 
for her, knowing what she knows about Joel and being with him, to distrust him to a point, which yeah. is why she poses the question in the first place. And it's why she opens the question with a discussion about how she was trying to make clear to Joel the same thing that Marlene was trying to tell Joel, which is that it's what she would have wanted. She starts yeah. that discussion by saying, I'm ready to die, to try and make it clear to Joel that it, it was... Ab that it, even if that circumstance was going to cost her her life, that still would have been the thing that she would have wanted and would have accepted. And then, after she explains that, she gives him the last opportunity to ask if everything that he's doing has been telling the truth. Like, she... she in a really emotional, like a really emotionally poignant moment. Like she's not angry. She's not distrustful. Their relationships is still incredibly solid. Even when she's questioning his intentions, mm -hmm. she asks him if he's telling the truth and he lies back. And she's, and when she says, okay, we could, you could read a lot of things into that because of how little that's given back. But that's the point at which she is also willing to accept her relationship with Joel over the sort of mistrust that she had. Like, she's, she has continued to be, I, again, like I said in the first place, I could go on because there's a million different ways that you could hypothetically interpret one word said in a monotone voice at the end of a character arc of a character at the end of the story. Right. Uh, but I, the lie is the moment of closure because it's the moment that proves that both of them still, the story about their relationship ends at that point because both of them agree mutually in that scene that they care about the other more than pretty much any any of their other concerns. Thank you for listening to Noclip this week. <laughs> what are we talking about next time? Next time, we're going to be talking about SNES JRPG classic Earthbound, known as Mother 2 and uh, other places. This <laughs> <laughs> in the Earth? Until then... <laughs> Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, uh, you can do so. All of our contact information is on noclippodcast.com. Uh, leave a rating and review on iTunes and also on Google Play. And something that I was talking about with Andy last night is uh, potentially being a little bit more active, a.k.a. active in any way, uh, <laughs> on our Twitch channel, which we do have, Yeah. Um, that we've never openly broadcasted on. Um, because we have a capture card now. We have a capture card. Also, uh, we own computers. Oh, uh, forgot about that. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, probably won't be streaming Earthbound, uh, <laughs> but we'll definitely be streaming Overwatch. Oh. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> and uh, potentially, if, if it goes over well, streaming future games that we have the ability to stream uh, during our like playthroughs of them. But we'll uh, see about that. So if you have any opinions on that, send those in. Our uh, stream or is twitch.tv slash noclippodcast. That should be just really obvious, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Later. And no... That's not going to be the episode title, <laughs> because I refuse to be the host of a podcast that has Jean Gazzetti, Cool Dad, and <laughs> cool. cool Sunglasses, basic, Cool Shades, Basic Dad, <laughs> as episode title. But how are we going to build up our like repertoire of dad categories <laughs> that don't allow this to happen naturally? Yeah, Chad, we'll put it to a vote. This is a democracy.